Why haven't you seen the gold Why haven't you seen 16 Candles? Hello and welcome to another episode of FilmWise, also known as the Why Haven't You Seen This Film podcast. As always, I am Bubba Wheat from FlightsTightsAndMovieNights.com, and each episode I have on a guest who introduces me to a film that I've never seen before, and in return I introduce them to a superhero or comic book movie that they've never seen before. Today my guest is Emily Mackey from Movies and Mayhem. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, good to have you on. And for those oh. of you who, or for those listeners out there who might not uh, know about your site, why don't you go ahead and take a little bit to, to tell us about yourself and your site? <laughs> well, myself is Emily Mackey, <laughs> and my site is moviesandmayhem.com, where I just usually write my reviews. Sometimes I'll do themed lists, um, depending what's going on at the time. But mostly reviews as of late. I've kind of kind of been really busy, but you know, uh, with October, like I guess a couple months away, I'll probably be doing a lot around Halloween. That's kind of my favorite time to do lists. But so that's a little bit. They're just always, you know, um, just like you know, top ten lists or reviews, basically. Cool. Yeah, and I know. Um... I don't always have as much time to, re- to read reviews as I'd like, but uh, it's always fun to, to check out different lists, mm-hmm. uh, movie lists, just to see kind of where you fall and, and what you agree with and what you don't agree with. For sure, for sure. They're fun to write. Yeah. And uh, as always, I have some questions to get to know your movie tastes a little bit better. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so what are three films that you've seen the most often and haven't gotten tired of yet? Okay, so this one's kind of hard, and I and I found myself gravitating a lot to the comedy genre, mm-hmm. and um, particularly, which is funny, it's kind of on point, on topic, is 80s comedies. <laughs> um, I would actually put 16 Candles in, as one of the three films that I've seen the most often. I've, like, watched it, well, we'll get into that later. And then um, Better Off Dead would be another one with John Cusack. But it is kind of getting to the point the last time I watched it where I, like, knew every single joke before they said it and would <laughs> laugh, like, remembering it. But then, like, when they said it, I didn't laugh anymore because I was, I was like, laughing, like, ah, that joke's coming up, it's so funny. And then, like, then and there it was. <laughs> so that one I, I might, like, I kind of had to retire for a little bit. I might, yeah, I'd also I, I know I always, always still enjoy those types of comedies. That yeah, for sure. It, it's just such a great moment whenever... <laughs> Just knowing the joke is coming yeah, makes, yeah. makes you laugh ahead of time. Yeah, exactly. Um, as a, I'd also, but my number one for that, I think, would be Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like, I could probably put that movie on any time and, like, genuinely laugh so hard at any joke in it. And it never, it never gets old. Like, I could probably watch it, like, back to back, you know, and still like it. Um, an honorable mention for that, I would say maybe like Mean Girls, but it's, it is kind of funny because some of these I'm like, I have to just put it put it away for a while because I don't want it to get too old. But mm-hmm. I still um, always, because like I love them so much, like I would never be like, I don't like that movie anymore. So, um, but it just would have to be something that I'd kind of put away for a bit and then come back to. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, what's your favorite film that you've only seen once? So this one was kind of, this one was actually really hard because 
Um, I guess I'm not really a one-and-done type person. I, sometimes I want to be. Like, for example, well, the first time I saw The Impossible, I was blown away, and I loved it. But I was like, I don't ever, ever want to see that movie again, ever. And then my mom's like, you like that movie so much, will you see it with me? And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> fine. I really did not want to see that movie again. And then I think I ended up seeing it three times. But, like, that <laughs> that would have been one, because I, I honestly did not want to see it again. Um, Another one was adaptation like I I saw it once and I didn't really have plans to ever see it again and then I I did revisit it only just like so I'd, I'd seen it back when I first was in college and then kind of more like a eight years later thing I watched it again but I kind of wasn't really planning to so I like those are the only things that came to my mind where I, I had plans to not really like just like like the experience move on but I don't know. I, maybe I'd say, the, I'd say The Godfather, I guess. I haven't watched that one since, and that one was really good. So Okay. Yeah, I've, I've also only seen The Godfather once, and I still haven't made time to see The Godfather 2 yet. You know, I honestly, I know this is kind of an unpopular film opinion, but I liked the first one better, so, personally. Yeah, well, I, I can't say one way or the other, because <laughs> I've only seen the first one, but it, it was great, but I just, you know, it's it's always really difficult to make time for oh, an yeah. over two-hour movie. For sure. Um, that, that's another reason why, even though it's within my wheelhouse, I still haven't made time to watch the Batman vs. Superman Ultimate Cut, just because it's <laughs> so long. Yeah, it's true. Uh, <laughs> I would get into the topic of that. I don't know how you felt about the first cut, but if yeah. you didn't like it, you probably won't like. But I liked it, so I enjoyed the longer cut. Yeah, I I think I'll I would like it as well, but uh, because I did mostly enjoy the theatrical cut, mm-hmm. so I think I would enjoy the ultimate cut. It's I just haven't made time for it yet. And speaking of superhero movies, okay, what, what is your favorite superhero movie? So I think my favorite is probably Spider-Man Two. I think that was the first. Um, big comic book movie that I really fell in love with the genre. I really liked the first one as well, but the second one just felt perfect to me in that time. And when I saw it and I still really, really like it, I have a couple honorable mentions (laughs) too, if you want to talk about those, but um, so I have also some of the ones that maybe don't get as much. I love, I like the Incredibles a lot and Unbreakable by M. Night Shyamalan. Nice. Yeah. Those, all three of those are, some of my all-time favorites. Uh, I think Incredibles is like in my top five for sure. Yeah, yeah. And then I am a huge Nolan fan too, so I obviously love Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. And then actually The Dark Knight Rises is one I've only seen. Like I saw it once and then I, I convinced myself to see it again to see if I'd like it better. And then so I, I haven't seen that one since theaters, so it's one I would need to revisit again sometime, but... Yeah, Rises is it just has so much to live up to. Yeah, that's the thing, <laughs> honestly. And, and it does have a lot more flaws than the yeah. first two. But even I just though... remember too those trailers for it were like perfect. I was like, mm-hmm. so I was, I was like, it is gonna live up to it. And then when I saw, it, I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, and I, I know that my blog and, and podcast is on a narrow niche of movies with superhero movies and comic book movies. Mm-hmm. But if you were to do one uh, on a narrow niche, or even to maybe claim one as your favorite, something like maybe mm-hmm. movies about a rise to fame, what what would that narrow niche be? Okay, so again, I I don't know why I just can't like come up with one thing for you, <laughs> <laughs> but um. 
I would say my favorite genre, and this is ve- this is why I couldn't just say I would do movies on this because it's very there would probably be like five films to talk about. <laughs> but I like I'm not a huge romantic comedy person, but I like films that really and earnestly study relationships. Like um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, 500 Days of Summer, something, well, even more like When Harry Met Sally, where it's like more based in realism as opposed to like meat cutes and silly tropes, like, you know what I mean? So I really, I really like relationship films, but that that probably wouldn't give me like, uh, well, number one, a huge audience, or number two, a lot (laughs) of like, a lot of material to work with, so. No, there's probably more of them out there than you might think. There probably is. I think there's a lot, I'm sure... Something like that, whenever you look at the specifics, there's probably a lot of really lesser-known indie films if you oh, like, yeah, really sure. started digging for them. Yeah, so that would be my pick. Um, also, though, I like I said, I love horror movies, so maybe my, my podcast would just be a every Halloween <laughs> talk about just hidden horror gems that people haven't. Because I, I love, just during October, all I do is watch horror movies, and... I will like research all these ones that were like well rated, but not that many people know of. So, because I really like the stuff that came out during the seventies and eighties, I really like the feel of those horror movies. So, like, I'll just find these random ones and just watch them. And so, I would totally do that as well. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And then uh, to wrap this up, what would you say right now is your biggest film-wise? A film that you haven't seen yet, but you feel like you really should have gotten around to by now. Okay, I would say for that one, and I will just give you one answer. I will say The Big Lebowski. I've never seen it, and like everyone, like all, it's like a very big deal for film people. <laughs> so mm. I know I should, but yeah, it's one I haven't gotten around to. Yeah, I have. Have you seen a lot of the other uh, Coen Brothers work? Yeah, I have. So I don't know why that one has, has just like skipped me by. But yeah, I know that that seems to be like the Coen Brothers' most populist film. Yeah, the crown jewel. <laughs> yeah, and of their filmography. Yeah, and I I also had only recently seen it within the past couple years or so, and um and and also the the actor that played the. The actual Big Lebowski, like uh-huh. the one that yeah. uh, Jeff Bridges got confused for, just mm-hmm. passed away. I did hear that, actually, yeah. So I should watch it. <laughs> yeah, and now, now would be a good time. Yes. All right, well, that was great to hear a little bit more about your movie taste, but now it's time to talk about the film that you had me watch for the first time. All Six- right. <laughs> Sixteen Candles. I'm your my birthday you know you suck <laughs> this is the single worst day of my entire life and that is so sad i'll let you take carolyn home she's so blitz she won't know the difference who else thinks that fiona's a freak can i borrow your underpants for 10 minutes thank you thank you guys you're a great crowd <laughs> okay so I Sixteen Candles is about a teenage girl named Samantha, played by Molly Ringwald. And it's the day before her sister's wedding, which coincidentally happens to be her 16th birthday. But because of all the commotion around it, her whole entire family completely forgets. So the film is uh, just takes place between her birthday and the day after, and kind of the... Typical day she goes on, but then it's also not really that typical because, 
because of all the commotion around the wedding, there's this foreign exchange student that's crazy that's staying with them. And um, meanwhile, she's also has this hopeless crush on this senior that she thinks will never notice her, but little does she know, she actually caught his eye. <laughs> um, I had, I've seen this movie, I just remember the, really vividly, actually, the first time I watched it. Um, me and my sister, for whatever reason, I don't really remember, but we were, like, kind of sleeping in the same room, like, in the living room, and we were up late one, like, Friday or Saturday night, and it was on TV, and we'd never seen it, but our older sister had seen it and, like, really liked it. So we decided to watch it, and... I just remember both of us being really hyper and this, the moment where um, they take a picture, like the nerds take a picture of the homecoming queen and you just see like the corner of his eye. I just remember my sister like losing it and like doing like the most like high pitched squeal laugh <laughs> ever. And it's just like, it's just a memory that I always remember. And so I, I guess there's probably a part of me that really likes it for that, but it is one of those movies that it's on TV a lot, for one thing. So, like, it's one I always, like, watch when it's on, and I always enjoy it. But um, I also did watch it when I turned 16 for my 16th birthday, <laughs> and um, there's just something about that last moment. That it's, like, honestly one of the, like, really iconic movie endings for me, when he's just, she's just there, and she looks up, and the car's part, and there's her, bo- there's her man, and, like, the, the music is just timed so perfectly at that moment, it kind of, I was watching it yesterday, and it still kind of gave me a little butterflies, because I was just like, yes, this is the perfect moment, <laughs> and so, yeah, that last scene is, uh, I kind of makes the whole movie, honestly, because, it, it, you know, when you watch it more and more, it's kind of uneven, and, even watching it today now in like a modern context, there are certainly some things that are very questionable mm-hmm. <laughs> that wouldn't, that definitely wouldn't be allowed today. But um, you just, it's kind of a movie that you have to just look at with the eyes of that time and appreciate it for like showing the eighties and, you know, teenage life. <laughs> yeah. And I've, I had never seen this before, but I have seen, I would say most of John Hughes' filmography. I, I think maybe the only other movie of his that I haven't seen yet is Pretty in Pink. Oh, yep. Um, but I, I have seen most of his others, and, and I do enjoy most of his other films. And I do get kind of that sense with this where there is that John Hughes sensibility with his sense of humor. Mm-hmm. But at at the same time, there is just this – there's a lot of – uh, ickiness, maybe, for the lack of a better <laughs> word, for a lot of like the sexual politics, yes, and sure. also the the racial sensi- sensitivity, <laughs> which is well, yeah, not there yeah. at all. <laughs> for sure, that that definitely wouldn't be definitely wouldn't work today. <laughs> <laughs> but I I I did enjoy a lot of the 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 humor. Um, a lot of the, the like slapstick moments. Uh, it, I do think that it, it went too far in a few places, or it, it it felt a little uneven with like the cartoony sound effects that, that oh, pop yeah. up just <laughs> here and there. Like, and especially in going back to the racial insensitivity thing, the the gong <laughs> that yes. pops up. Yes, just it's a... <laughs> in relation to Long Duck Dong. It's a little much, yeah. <laughs> And there's also like a couple others places where like, dragnet theme kind of <laughs> yeah and and the or the the Godfather theme yeah <laughs> yeah whenever they're having 
dinner with the oh, hunk. Yeah. Rudy. <laughs> which is yeah which is another kind of moment of racial insensitivity thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. It really isn't a movie that could be made the way it was today. And um I mean it's kind of like even with something like Breakfast at Tiffany's where you're like, Ugh. but th- that doesn't mean for me that I want to like throw away the whole movie because right. there are like a lot of really great and fun moments, but yeah. yeah. And on and on top of that, like I obviously I have a different perspective as as like a uh, an early middle-aged man. Mm-hmm. Uh watching this because I'm not a 16-year-old girl, and I never was a 16-year-old girl. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I do find it interesting because I did watch most of this. I, I do have a 9-year-old girl, mm-hmm. um, my daughter, and I had her watch it with me. And, and I was kind of curious just to see what her reaction would be because she's she's right at that age where, I mean, she's she hasn't hit puberty yet. Um, she wants to grow up, though. Well, I I think she's at the point where is she like mentally she's she's still more of a child, although mm-hmm. she has physically started developing, which is uh, <laughs> something that we have to deal with, which is mm-hmm. kind of crazy because she is only nine years old. Yeah. Uh, so that's been kind of difficult, but uh, overall, like she was watching it, and there's the <laughs> there's the shower scene that that pops up too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to mention that. I was like, oh. Yeah, and seeing that, it's like, oh, yeah, this, this was a PG film made in the 80s. And, yes. <laughs> and it's one of those things where I, I kind of look at it at, in two ways, because on one hand, it is, a, it is a little disappointing that we don't have these kind of scenes, because it is, it, it's basically not really presented as, well, it is and it isn't really presented as nudity in a sexual way. Mm-hmm. Because it is just a shower scene, and it's um, it, it's presented in a way that the other girls are looking at her mm-hmm. just because she has larger breasts than them, because she's more developed, she's a senior. Yeah. But at the same time, just the way that it's it's shot and filmed and presented, it is kind well, of presented. In, yeah. Um, it is presented in like um, like with the male gaze in mind. Yeah. Um. It is a little bit comical too, just like with the little sound effects. Like the se- like the second you see it, it really catches you off guard. Where it's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was an interesting thing. I actually was thinking though that it's a little <laughs> more helpful, um, though the rating system we have because it, it is kind of like, well, you know, nudity in movies for PG, you just don't know what people's sensibilities are and perhaps they kind of would rather have more of a heads up so um but i yeah i kind of see what you're saying too that it isn't really something that we see a lot of anymore but so what do you think of her character in general because she's kind of like i feel like the prom queen is kind of where a lot of the the things that are now modern day it's like unacceptable <laughs> most of the stuff that she's involved in yeah, it, it is interesting. Just, I mean, looking at at Molly at Molly Ringwald herself, just because I am more familiar with her as the as the character in in the Breakfast Club, where she is basically the prom queen, mm-hmm. and here she she is more like the the Ali Sheedy character, and 
I, I thought it was interesting. I looked in the trivia that Ali Sheedy was up for the part as well. Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, but I, I think that I did enjoy Molly Ringwald as a character. I, I think that she's, especially for the 80s, she's presented in, in a very realistic way. Yeah. Yeah, and, I agree. And, and I empathized with her character quite a bit with the fact that she has the, the crush on on the uh, the high school senior, like the, the big jock, the most popular guy in school. Mm-hmm. And that's, that really makes sense. And and I did like the, the ending. It's just there's a lot of the stuff in the middle that's <laughs> that's really tough to take, especially whenever I talk about it, again, like the sexual politics of the time, because you have the geek, and I think it's funny, too, that it's, Anthony Michael Hall is credited as the geek, mm-hmm. uh, even though he has a name. And it's like that that credit right there sums up the, the 80s movies, the 80s teen <laughs> movies. Yes, for sure. People had their role and that's kind of all there was to them. Um, it is interesting to watch because, like I said, the first time I saw it, I probably was like 14. And a lot of that stuff, I'm you know, kind of flew over your head a lot more so Mm -hmm. jake ryan still is allowed to be this dreamy guy and i mean i still do like him (laughs) but watching it as an adult and lion's like i could violate her in 10 different ways if i wanted to and you're like oh okay no 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 yeah (laughs) and and that combined with the fact that the geek more or less does violate her, even though like it's it's eventually a soon to be uh, relationship, maybe. Yeah, well, and also like um, consensual. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, she was literally like blitzed out of her mind. She didn't yeah. know what was going on. And there's also, I guess, the the connotation that he also got himself drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There definitely be. But it's interesting because I kind of feel like this is the movie where most of it is. Like, I can't really, like, you know, like I was saying, Ferris Bueller's Day Off earlier, another John Hughes film. I can't really put my finger on anything, like, at least sexually like that, that that was, uh, I don't know. I haven't watched it, though. But it's interesting, I think, that a lot of it just resides in Sixteen Candles, and I'm not sure... Like it was this was this his first film or do you know what well, let's see where that was yeah that's, I believe uh, I don't have IMDb up in front of me but I know it was I, Molly I was Ringwald's glancing first, through yeah. I, I believe it's the first film that he directed yeah but he right. did he did write um, Vacation before this okay okay yeah I wonder if just as his first film he was trying to like prove himself and just be as edgy as possible I don't know it's just kind of it is kind of an interesting thing because I don't necessarily feel like it's like totally everywhere else in his filmography, but it definitely is very prevalent in this one. Um, yeah, and, and it also is interesting that it is coming off of Vacation, which was an R-rated comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if he wanted it to be more R-rated and was they kind of just rated it PG more for, you know, like... Uh, for more reception and more box office gross, I don't know. Well, and, and also just the fact that it is based around teenagers, 
So, yeah, right, exactly. So if, it feels right. It feels like the intended audience is a teenage audience, which wouldn't necessarily be able to go to an R-rated film without mm-hmm. uh, having an adult or, or just sneaking in, which I think would would have been a little bit more easy to do back then, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, what would you say was your favorite scene? Um. I don't know. It's it's tough to say. I know that there was a lot of. I, I did gravitate to. I think some of the the slapstick humor. I I know, and it, it was it was interesting seeing uh, Joan Cusack and John Cusack both in this film and as the nerds too. Yeah, and even though it was easy, like it felt like really easy jokes. Uh, I did. Just like some of the physical humor with Joan Cusack, like her trying to drink from the the water fountain. Mm-hmm. She really is great. Like even in such a small role as this, I was. She like when I was watching it again, she did like have have me laughing out loud. That one part where um, they were on the bus and she and Molly Ringwald leaves and it's just the two of them and, and he's like, I like girls in hats and she's like, Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, she's like, I don't care. <laughs> like she just like even with a small role, like a tiny tiny role like that, it really kind of shows what a great actress she is that she could like make it shine so much because it really is like such a throwaway part. Mm-hmm. And I also like some of the uh, some of the like drunken revel like revelry at the party. Like yeah, I like I like the moment. It was so weird, but just how the the prom queen girlfriend like mm-hmm. gets her hair stuck in the door, and then her two completely drunk friends come over with the <laughs> giant scissors. Yeah, and cut her hair off. I can't thank you enough, and I love that. Like right, it's like there's a lot of really good, well timed jokes. Where she says that, and then they, she hugs her, and then you just see, like, how awful her hair looks. <laughs> I always think that's – just this is um, an editor's thing. I always think it's so funny because um, when they cut her hair like that, and then she's holding it later, you're like, there's no way that was the hair that they cut. Like, <laughs> that yeah. looks so fake. Like And, like, evenly cut when I saw your hair <laughs> when they cut it. There's no way it looked like that in a little bundle. Yeah, and and I'm sure that the hair like would have still been like attached at the door, like in a little pile on the floor. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I like going along with that part too. I like her grandparents. I like the portrayal of both sets of the grandparents, and mm. when they call in the middle of the night, oh, <laughs> <laughs> sex. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, there are just certain little things about that movie that's still kind of that's still really funny. There's a lot of there, you know, it's kind of oh, yeah, and, and her grandmother feeling her out. I, I thought that was just <laughs> one of those. It's it's like you feel so incredibly embarrassed for her, but it's so hilariously presented at the same time. Especially the fact that they don't actually show it happening; they cut away. Yes, yes, yes. It really is kind of. There's a lot of really good cutaways and the editing in it, where it's just kind of this perfect like ah, you see like the hands coming right at you, and then you just like see her like lying on the bed, just, like, dying that it happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was actually another one of my favorite lines while I was watching it recently, was, like, parent, grandparents forgetting birthdays? They live for that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> really is. That's one of those things you're like, I can't believe that anyone in that family, there wasn't one person that remembered. Yeah, and, and I did love, like, all the the little moments with her little brother, because they, they also, that all else also felt just so appropriate and and so funny just 
and, and even like the little moments like i don't know if you if you notice like uh there's a scene kind of in the middle where they're like at the the, the dinner table mm-hmm. and the kid has a pretzel stick in his mouth like a cigarette <laughs> you know i've seen it so many times and i honestly never noticed that so wow that's <laughs> caught something i haven't that's funny um, and then and then also you have like whenever the the mother the the next day tearfully um remember like apologizes uh-huh. to her and then the brother comes on comes by and they're like you forgot her birth we all forgot her birthday and he's, <laughs> uh, i forget the word he says but he's just classic, like, oh, classic. and then just <laughs>, laughs and walks away and that that is just such a little brother move oh i love that and i love i love when she says is there something you want to say to your sister? Where should I start? <laughs> <laughs> like he's thinking it's licensed that he can just like trash her. <laughs> like, yeah, he's, he's a really great character. And and I think he's used like just enough. Like they don't overuse him. Yeah, he's not he like, he's not like a punchline of every joke, you know, he doesn't turn into the annoying little brother. That's constantly there. And you get tired of by the end of the movie. Yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, they have their adventure in the middle, so he's he's largely ab- absent. So they use him really well um, in the home scenes where he's in. So Yeah, and then um, I, I did also like I, – I do like and don't like, again, the, the character of the geek because he does have – some great moments. Like I love the the scene with the the two of them in the half in the car. car. Yeah, yeah, I like that scene a lot too. The one thing that the question I I always have though when I watched it is the part where she laughs. Like he's like, "Can I admit something? I've never bagged a babe," and she laughs. And I'm like, "Is she laughing because because he's a virgin, or because why would I think that you're not a virgin?" <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? that's. That's the way that I always, or that, or that I imagine it, that she thought that it was so hilarious that he thought that it was a secret that he was a virgin. Because yeah. obviously he's a virgin because he's like <laughs> the biggest nerd, like the king of the nerds. Yeah, I, exactly. I also thought that it was so fascinating just to look at how this film portrays nerd culture in the 80s oh yeah <laughs> it was out of control like that whole that scene where they're at the dance and they're all at the like against the walls looking at their little calculators and all with their like goggles on or whatever <laughs> just like and then all the music they're just like they're like these lepers <laughs> that no one yeah. wants to go near you know yeah and it's and it's just so and so fascinating to think about how nerd culture has changed <laughs> from the 80s until now because nerd culture is almost like mainstream oh yeah for sure <laughs> where like you said in the 80s they were the lepers and and they were they're presented in such bizarre ways like you have the two nerds on the bus with the toy guns and the jock straps on their head <laughs> it's like what, that's just so bizarre to think i think <laughs> They just like, have to make it clear to the audience, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what they, what <laughs> the thought was. You know, I also think it's, like, really interesting, too, that first credit opening. I don't know why it always is really interesting to me, like, that portrayal of life in the 80s, you know, with all the, like, the drawing of the heart on the knee and, like, um, all the hand-holding and stuff. Like, that's how real life was in the 80s. And then you have, like, these... Freaks, <laughs> 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 that, like I don't know. It's it's, it's definitely 
it's, it's, a, it's an, I love that about movies though, and especially ones that really embrace the time. And that's kind of, honestly, I felt that way about Josie and the Pussycats too, is where it's just really this like, um, time capsule of seeing, mm. you know, like, how they wanted life portrayed, you know, like how like media wanted media slash film felt like life of this era should be portrayed. Yeah. And, and I do think that it's that these two, these two films were kind of great to pair with each other, even though on, on this show, I don't always like pair the two films thematically, mm-hmm. but I do think it's interesting to watch these two back to back and, and how they, both of them are, like such a, an interesting time capsule of the 80s and the early 2000s. Um, but going back to this one, I, I do think that if, I'm, I think I'd like to touch a little bit more again on like the sexual politics. Mm-hmm. That that it is so weird how I mean Jake Ryan his entire infatuation with Molly Ringwald's character starts, which I just realized I I don't. I forget. Oh, Sam. Yeah, it was Sam. Yeah, Sam. Um, it starts with him knowing the fact that she wants to sleep with him. Yeah. And then it becomes this basically obsessive relationship about this sophomore that he never had given a thought to before, that he likes her just because she likes him. And it's like yeah. he's bored with his current relationship. And he's just like, it almost feels like he's off to the next conquest in in a way. Because he doesn't know anything about her, and yet he's going after her with such of a vigor. It is nice in one aspect that they do have the breakup scene before he he actually gets with her, because he's... He doesn't actually like cheat on his current girlfriend. Yeah, I was actually thinking that <laughs> this time I watched it. I was like, nice that they broke up before he could have this, you know, like start with her. But the only thing I can think of that kind of redeems all of that is um, just that scene where he's kind of talking about love with the geek and just like, I want, like, she's, you know, I don't want to be with Carolyn. She's totally insensitive. She trashed my parents' house. Like, I want a real, I want something real. And so I think that's the only way that both my teenage mind and current mind can, like, reconcile and still like Jake (laughs) is that he just, I guess, is looking for, not I I don't think he sees it as a conquest I think maybe he is trying to like that she just seems like a nice girl I guess she, mm-hmm. she, she's not anything like what he's dated before you yeah know? And, she, and it's basically the way that that the geek describes her to him at the dance <laughs> smallish tits sounds <laughs> <laughs> <was> okay <laughs> um, drives me crazy <laughs> um, yeah but he's basically like just describing more or less an an average girl rather yeah. than the prom queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I think maybe maybe he sees pursuing her as a way for him to grow up, I guess, you know. <laughs> even, even though he's she's 2 years younger than him. Yeah. <laughs> and the 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 main reason that he's going after him is because is just because she has a crush on him. It's like Yeah. yeah. It's this but it's I almost think, like this obsession with obsession. But I think he also is like, I think he's also intrigued, though, because every time 
he tries to talk to her, she, like, freaks out and, like, acts like she hates him. <laughs> so he's, like, I think she's kind of, like, a little bit of a mystery where he's, like, what's that girl's deal? <laughs> like, she said she wanted, like, she put me on a thing. Like, does she really like me or did she just write my name down? So I think it, like, I think because he, he is kind of insecure about it to when he's talking to the geek. Like, does she really like me? Like, I don't want to go after her and be totally wrong, you know? So I think, I think there's probably just, like, her being so different than anything he's uh, dated and the fact that, like, not really knowing where she really stands and kind of just wanting to get to the bottom of it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing I can think of to try and, like, make it not sound so bad <laughs> as the way you put it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he wants, he wants another notch on his belt. He knows she likes him, so he'll get it, but... Yeah, and and I also thought that that the wedding scene itself was mm. kind of it felt a little out of place. Like I I didn't I mean I do understand in a way why they made the bride high on muscle relaxants just because that was I guess that that would be a source of comedy. Mm-hmm. Just in because there's not really anything else other than just. Uh, Zelda Rubenstein that's, that pops up as this kind of weird character that it, it feels like they just put her in because she's weird. Well, yes, I think so, but I, it worked for me. <laughs> um, I will say, though, as someone having seen it for years and years and years, um, I really like the wedding scene, and it, I mean, it doesn't feel out of place for me because I've, I've known this movie for a long time, and I actually really like it just in the sense that someone kind of finally gets theirs, you know, because that sister was just awful. <laughs> she was just horrible. So it's kind of, it, it's kind of like a, a slight moment of justice for Samantha that like, you know, she had, like she gets her comeuppance but, you yeah. know, because she doesn't, uh, she is the only one out of her immediate family that doesn't have this moment of apology for forgetting her birthday. Yeah, exactly. And, because and, the, the and dad she, has the moment, the, the mom has the moment, the brother has has the moment, uh, is, even though it's played up for comedy because he doesn't apologize, but that, that feels right for his character. But the sister doesn't have that. It's funny, too. There's also that little sister that you kind of like, where is she at? <laughs> um, yes, I agree, though. So I think that in a way, like maybe they felt like they needed someone to be kind of a villain if you will like in the film and kind of um because she was i think the family member little brother but like you're gonna cut slack to the brother because he's like probably i don't know 12 years old i'm not really bad at gauging people's ages (laughs) yeah i I I am too like 10 11 12 um you're, you're not going to, like, so you kind of want someone to, I guess, pay for it, especially since the reason why everyone forgot was because of this wedding. So it's kind of funny to see it go off so poorly, you know, like, to, to like, the, this was the reason why no one was going to remember, like, you weren't important enough to remember, but yet she, her wedding was such a disaster. She started her period the day before, and <laughs> she had to take all these muscle relaxers, and, like, for someone... And, and they're to, one car short, because Long Duck Dong uh, crashed oh, right, yeah. <laughs> grandfather's car, so everybody's squeezing in to one fewer car. And, yeah, and I think that's that's nice because that's really a, a subtle joke that they don't uh-huh. really 
they don't explain to death. It's yeah, like you see yeah. everybody squeezing into the cars. It's like they, they get like six people into one car. I think they do that kind of a lot in the movie. Like they just like subtly show stuff enough that it, like if you're not paying attention, you're not going to catch it. Like the scene where Long Duck Dong and his girlfriend get to that party and they like get out of the car and then it pulls back and you see that they had backed into <laughs> this other car of this couple that's having sex and not really noticing what happened to their car. Just like, yeah, they don't notice uh, that the entire front end of the car is demolished. <laughs> yes, that's another thing is uh, his car is also missing and probably wrecked <laughs> too. So Yeah, I, I think just the... It's hard to tell for sure, but the way Long Duck Dong describes it, it I think that he like crashed it into a lake. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure he did. He's trying to get away from his new style American girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I also, well, that's probably like a racially insensitive thing, but I think it's kind of funny how he like how he mistakes Jake for his girlfriend just because like his girlfriend was so tall, <laughs> and brunette, and stuff. Just like. It's it's funny. It's pro- I probably shouldn't think it's funny, but <laughs> that was one that kind of gets to me. Um, yeah, he, he does have some moments where it's like, it, I initially laugh, and then I think, oh, I probably shouldn't have laughed at that. <laughs> the other one that I do always just like, like, I've always loved, and it's still so funny to me, too, is where he's like, he goes to the door, and he's like, hey, Sam here, and he's like, she's at the church, she gets married, and he's like, what, married? And they say it, like, three times, and then he shuts the door, and again, like, married? <laughs> and then <Sam> married! <laughs> So there, there, like there. I think there's just a lot of really good lines in it too that just kind of, for me, were I guess a little quotable and were funny that stayed with me. So yeah, well, I I am glad that I finally got the the chance to see this, and I I did enjoy more than I had issues with. But, oh, good. <laughs> but there are a lot of issues with this film, watching it with a mom. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I think I think for me, for sure, the the character of Carolyn is is the hardest, kind of, just because, you know, she essentially, you know, gets date raped a little bit, yeah. <laughs> and like, and her boyfriend kind of set that up and didn't really care much about it, and it's um. Yeah, it's definitely a lot darker. <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty dark. There's some dark stuff in this movie that um, at the time was definitely treated very lightly. And it's... Yeah, it's, very flippantly. Yes, very flippantly. And and it's it kind of just makes... It kind of, when you have the time to ponder, it just makes you really sad that things were like that. Yeah. Ever. So... But uh, again, I I do thank you for for choosing this for so I finally get to watch it and, and I'm curious if maybe a few years down the line if I if I watch it again with my daughter if she kind of uh, appreciates the some of the elements a little bit more than she does now her her uh, like three word review of the movie was that it was inappropriate and boring <laughs> inappropriate that's cute. <laughs> That's cute. Um, I will say that as a teenage girl watching it the first time, it basically is every teenage girl's dream ending. So, and like, I guess there's still like a part of me that loves that, even as an adult, that it's still something like this. It's this fairy tale ending in the point of view of this girl that we, 
that we like that we that we you know spent time with during this film and she she's very grounded and she's and she's likable and that she finally gets that moment um of getting what she wants and seeing that dream guy that she thought was so out of her league come there for her like i think her acting too in that like I really do love her acting in that like moment where she looks up and she sees him. Like she does this like kind of little like yeah, she looks look around herself, like, like Who, me? you're talking to me. Uh, yeah, you. And she kind of does this like little smile with her teeth that like she it, like becomes like wider. Like oh my gosh, I can't believe he's here. You know, um, it's it's really like a real moment that I think resonated with me as a teen that I just was like, she's getting the guy. She's getting the guy, (laughs) you know? So, um, I I hope your daughter will, you know, watch it when she's, you know, a little older and then it's a little more magical as, um, more just a story of, you know, a girl who goes through a really crappy day that (laughs) then gets the guy in the end. Yeah. All right, well, we are going to take a quick break, and then whenever we come back, we're going to talk about the film that I had you watch for the first time, Josie and the Pussycats. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Welcome to the Really Awful Movies podcast, a celebration of low-budget cinema. Hi, I'm Chris, and along with Jeff, we're bringing you the very best and worst of horror, sci-fi, action, exploitation, kung fu, and women in prison movies from the 1970s to today. Be sure and check out reallyawfulmovies.com for reviews, interviews, lists, and terrific movie giveaways. Hi everyone, this is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners, so if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And, oh, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this stop, minutiae shut up, here. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. I wonder shut who up. the cat God can damn watch. it, shut up. Josie and the Pussycats came out in 2001, and it was a parody of consumerism and the fads of MTV culture of the time, using the characters from Archie Comics' Josie and the Pussycats. Uh, they updated the group into a very girl power rock band and filled the movie with intentional product placements and a boy band that was in with the com- record company using subliminal messages to sell products and fads to teens with disposable incomes. The storyline is a bit on the cliche side, but I really enjoy a lot of the, the meta humor and the music used throughout the film. And I, I know we already kind of mentioned that this does feel like it's a it's a time capsule for the early 2000s, especially with uh, deep into the uh, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC uh, and <laughs> yeah. MTV and TRL. Um, but, you know, what did you think about uh, Josie and the Pussycats? Okay. <laughs> so my biggest question is, because this is as someone who didn't see it when it came out, and I actually looked, I looked this up, so I kind of answered my own question, I guess. <laughs> but this reminded me, like, okay, so, as I, you know, I really liked the scene with the uh, boy band right from the beginning. And I was like, oh, this is really funny, you know. And, like, kind of all the robot chicken people were, like, yeah. the, <laughs> were the band. Um, 
I, but early on, once the plot, like, kind of revealed itself, I was like, wait a second. I was like, this is, like, the plot of a, of a Simpsons episode. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you, do you watch The Simpsons at all? Do oh, you know yeah. What I'm talking about? Even at Niage. Yeah. So, like, the whole time <laughs> I was watching it, I was like, which came first? Like, which idea came first? Like, cause it was, like, just driving me nuts. Cause I was like, this is, this is that Simpsons episode, <laughs> the whole movie. Um, and I looked it up, and the Simpsons, it, they both came out in 2001. The Simpsons episode came, aired, um, in February of, of 2001, and the movie came out in April. So I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm like, cause obviously movies are put into production way before that, but I'm like, which one was written first? Like, how early were those Simpsons scripts written, and who, who like, who stole this idea from who? <laughs> But it also did remind me a lot of uh, Zoolander as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely, which is funny because there's something about Zoolander that even though it's like tackling, um, it's tackling the same type of culture, that it seems a lot more timeless. And I think it's mostly because, um, I think it's mostly because they're like, uh, co- costumes and everything is so outrageous and not what the 2000s were actually like. So that yeah, it like they, seems like it could have taken place at any time. Well, and and also like with Zoolander, the model culture is always kind of one step removed from yeah popular culture. Exactly, that's a good way to put it. Um, so it was it was interesting to see the parallels, but I thought it was it was a lot of fun, um, and it was just fun to to look at that that culture of because um, I remember I think I was like in. Um, junior high at the time when this came out and um it just like it it did take me back a lot like the fashion and um trl <laughs> honestly carson i'm like carson daly being famous <laughs> yeah like, oh yeah i forgot about him and it, yeah carson it's... daly was like the biggest celebrity uh, around that that time period yes he was so it was it was so funny and i it was funny because in the in the scene with Tara Reed and Carson Daly, I was like, they, I was like, didn't they used to date? They like have a ton of chemistry in this like weird little scene. And I looked yeah. it up. Sure enough, that was this was the movie where they met, and then like <laughs> um, they were engaged for a bit and called it off. On it. And it did it did take all of that like honestly took me back just to that time of like, oh yeah, when Tara Reed was a thing. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's funny too because uh, I think that the. I read that trivia, too, and their relationship only lasted, like, a year. I know, but it's funny because, for me, I always, like, thought of it as such a big deal. <laughs> it was, like, a year. But I was like, that only that was only that long? It seemed like such a big deal at the time. Like, they were both, like, because Carson Daly was such a big deal. <laughs> yeah, and, and there was... And that there was another joke, like during the uh, the MTV News, where they're talking about DuJour's disappearance, and they have the DuJour, and it says 2000 to 2001. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just uh, there's a lot of those little jokes that that I love, and I, I've seen this uh, a few times now, and I think every time I I watch it, I I love it it a little bit more. It's it's almost to the point where I am like laughing at the jokes before they hit. Um, because they're like, I love a lot of the meta humor, yeah, like yeah. whenever they're in the plane and, uh, Alexander or, um, asks his sister, it's like, what are you even doing here? And yeah, she like just that. casually <laughs> says, well, because I was in the comic. I, I really like that. Yeah. 
like that too. <laughs> and he's like, "What?" And she says, uh, oh, "Nothing." Never mind. Nothing. <laughs> that was that was a good one. I like that too. Yeah, and, and my absolute favorite line in the movie comes towards the end, whenever the uh, the U.S. agent walks in and after everything's been revealed and he's like holy crap you've got a skunk on your head oh wait that's just your hair <laughs> i like that one too especially because wasn't she was saying like something right before that like i'm okay with myself <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was yeah i like that that was too she did a good job missy pile she's like one of those actresses that kind of always brings a lot to whatever she does mm-hmm. yeah i don't know to her, her, her i don't know um, her from very much. I think the the biggest thing that I remember her name from now that that you just mentioned it was she was the the original like female lead for this short lived CW show called Reaper, where, oh. where she was in the pilot and then they replaced they replaced her with Missy Peregrine. Oh, that's funny. They went with another Missy. Um, she's in a lot of uh. Tim Burton movies, I feel like. Like, she was in Big Fish, and she was in um, Charlie, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, yeah. Remake. Yeah, she was, she was the, the mother. Mm-hmm. She just kind of has those crazy eyes and <laughs> does a good job, like, with that. Um, so it was actually kind of hard for me to follow some of the side characters. Just and So did you actually read the comics of Josie and the Pussycats at all? No, I, I never read the comics. Uh, I was... Just kind of vaguely familiar with the 70s cartoon just because okay. um, whenever like I was big into the early days of Cartoon Network mm-hmm. and back whenever they were playing a ton of Hanna-Barbera reruns. So I would see a lot like they would use jo- they would air Josie and the Pussycats uh, as one of their shows, but I never really watched it too much, but they would be in a lot of the promos. Like they they had the, like this great promo where they they like play the theme to Josie and the Pussycats and then the animation and music style morphs through a bunch of different musical genres like they switch to country and they switch okay. to like punk rock and like modern rock. So they didn't just do early two thousands pop <laughs> pop rock then. <laughs> well, I mean this, this was just in, in the promo. Like right, right. in the seventies show, it, it was all like a seventies pop. Whenever they had that, so but was yeah. the point of the car, were they just a band or was there like more? It, it was basically, the- from what I understand, that it was basically like Scooby Doo only with okay. a, a girl. <laughs> rock band or like Gem and the holograms I, I think that they would like go to different shows and they would just have these antics happen okay yeah. um it was interesting that you mentioned Gem and the holograms <laughs> because i definitely was thinking <laughs> i was thinking about that one too when i was watching it and i was just like Ugh, i'm glad this is a, it is definitely a lot more watchable than that film <laughs> yeah my daughter even like she didn't watch the whole thing with me but she kind of popped in and out and like at the end she's like this reminds me of gem and the holograms <laughs> because and it's funny too because that's that's a movie that we saw in theaters we were like one of the three people that did and <laughs> and she really loved <laughs> she actually loved the film gem and the holograms but i mean she's nine so we'll cut yeah <laughs> but, but um but this one she yeah. she didn't like it's like she thought that the uh that the villains were incredibly stupid but they also, 
Yeah, they also have some of the the best moments for me. Like I I love some of the like hanging the lampshade on it as as I like to refer to it. Like a- another great moment that that I love in this film is whenever uh, Fiona is talking to the the agent and then he starts to walk away and and she's like, um, oh, oh I like I like that part too. Like where he's like. What was it she's saying? She's like, um, oh, yeah. and neither will you. Yeah, neither will <laughs> He's you. He's like, what did you say? <laughs> we all heard you. <laughs> and yeah. then she plays oh, it off, know. and then he goes off again, and she's like, that was close. And he's like, what? <laughs> I like that part, too. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was really funny. Really, like, it really did feel, like, kind of cartoony, like, some, mm. some of the humor in it. And, um, yeah, I liked that, too. That was, that was a good part. I also have to say that I think Alan Cumming was really great. He was really funny, and mm-hmm. he just was kind of, like, eating it up. And I think it always just makes a difference in a movie if the cast is having fun. And this definitely seemed like that type of movie where, like, um, him and Parker Posey were definitely, like, eating up their role. Tara Reid was having fun either playing herself or a dumb blonde <laughs> or both. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was fun. And I liked, I liked the end when they both, um, they both revealed that they, their insecurities and that he was the albino kid from high school <laughs> and she was the lisper and that, they can find love yeah, <laughs> with his gut. And I think it's interesting watching this, um, re-watching this for myself, that they do kind of have these slight foreshadowing moments for those. Like uh, He mentions like the 10-year reunion at one point, and I, I think that's kind of telling whenever you find out that him and Fiona went both went to the same high school. Mm-hmm. And also, you have a moment early on where Fiona kind of slips into her lisp, lisp for a second, but yes. then they don't really comment on it. And then it's like they do it again later, where they do comment on it, like mm-hmm. um, the the really bizarre scene where it's like, the the, yeah, they host the party, and then she invites the the band into her bedroom and acts like this fake teenage girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I like that too. I was trying to think. I lost my train of thought. We have to have some editing with that. Yeah, I, um, I really love too. Like just the the commentary on the on consumerism. And, yeah, yeah, and the and fact the product, where product placement everywhere. Yeah, there's like almost not a single scene that doesn't have a prominent product placement in the background or like in the foreground. Like the just the number of products that you can name that that they feature in this, like the Krispy Kreme donuts. There's Starbucks <laughs> everywhere. There's Coke. There's Puma. The one that really, like, I, it's funny because it kind of says a lot about our generation and that I honestly wasn't really, like, paying that much attention to that. <laughs> but the scene that where it, like, came the most was, like, when her and her fella kind of, like, run off and then they're, like, in this aquarium and you can see this giant Evian yeah. <laughs> bottle, like, ad and it's like, what is that doing there? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like they're Just, in like, this room like, that's everywhere. Has, it's like this room that people aren't supposed to be in, but they yeah. have this view of this aquarium that has this giant ad in the middle of it. Yeah, exactly. So it is 
it is funny how it's just, I mean, obviously I noticed it in like the McDonald's scenes. <laughs> yeah. Stuff, like but... the, the place where I definitely noticed it the most again, watching it this time was in the terror Reed shower scene. Yeah. yeah. Where it's, it that makes absolutely no sense for them to be a bathroom. That's that McDonald's centric. And unless it was like in McDonald's headquarters. Yeah. I thought that too. I was like, it's like, you crap. have have <laughs> got into McDonald's because of the advertising. Yeah, it's like there's the McDonald logo that's like on a line across the middle of the shower, and then there's like the big M, and then all of her like uh, washcloths. There's like the fry guy and the hamburglar. Yeah, yeah, I love that. <laughs> Definitely, um, the production design team I think had a lot of fun <laughs> yeah. with you know placing things wherever they could like that and that scene is definitely um <laughs> definitely one of those yeah. and i also did love the the scene where they go to the fake trl yeah what the thing the thing that i always loved about that because i'm i'm not a very big fan of Ari spears i like i watched mad tv a lot whenever it was in the early days and he was like a featured player on that show oh okay but <laughs> i didn't even I, know who he I, was I, like I wasn't a big fan of his impressions, and I love the scene where Rosario Dawson like calls him out on how bad his impressions are. Yeah, I like that too. It was just kind of funny in the middle of a fight to the death, just to the, that he could you know be insecure about that, and she could just call it out like, "Wait, that's not even. Why are you even doing that?" <laughs> yeah, and I didn't even like I'd seen this a couple times, and I couldn't like the one that she calls him out on. I I didn't even know, <laughs> like I didn't even remember that he was doing Chris Rock. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I liked the Bill Cosby one, too, obviously. Yeah, and um, and also just, I think it fits in with the MTV culture, too, just yeah, right sure. along with it. And, and, and I do love Alan Cummings' character, just like his little brief cutaways. Like, I love how he, his shorthand... Um, and and the plane at the beginning is like he just goes in and he's like take the Chevy to the levee. <laughs> yeah, well it says a lot too about um the culture, like you said MTV culture, but like how expendable like and you mm -hmm. you kind of said that with the joke at the beginning with Dujour from 2000 to 2001. It says kind of how disposable bands were and even are still honestly, mm -hmm. um just that he's willing like almost at every turn to just be like, wait, let's get, let's kill them. We'll get someone else. You know, like when it, he acted like it was so hard to find them in the first place, but yet he's just willing to kill them at any second. If they, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if they're onto it, yeah. when you have something as powerful as like brainwashing them, it's like, why do you need to <laughs> like just keep brainwashing them? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, and, and they you have need to kill them all. And they have <laughs> so much of it where, like he's ready to sign them and put them at the the top of this plan before he's even heard them play a single note. Yeah, yeah. And then the second like they even question that, just being like, "You want a deal, don't you?" Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> yeah, and um, I know like one one character that I'm kind of hit and miss on is uh, Melody's character Tara Reed the, of Sharknado fame now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I totally can understand that because because sometimes it's like she's she's supposed to be like 
totally capable, and then other times it's like she's so dumb that it's like you. There's not someone that can really exist like that. You it's know, like she's too dumb to function. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's just like it's sometimes it's a little much, but I mean, the only thing is, like I said, is she does seem like she's at least having fun with it, so it kind of makes it go down easier, if you will. Like, kind of it's like, well, all right. Yeah, um, and, and they do. They do also at least make her like the like she's the eternal optimist. Yeah. And and yeah. I think I think it's funny some of the moments like um after Josie has her brainwashing moment and she goes off on on Melody telling telling her about how puppies die and then like mm-hmm. the very next scene you see her going to to play with a bunch of puppies. Oh, I, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Forgot about that. Um, that and she also has like, and even like the introduction where I and it's I kind of love the the introduction to this movie. Like after we get the whole du jour prologue, mm-hmm. it, it it's almost like the the opening to a '90s sitcom. Well, it's funny too, because um, obviously I'd never seen it or knew where it was going. It almost made it look like the way it was opening that they were like such a great band already and like were like already hit the big time and then you're like and then you it pulls back and they're just playing and no one's really caring <laughs> about it which is I feel like something Flight of the Concords does sometimes <laughs> that I yeah, like. I haven't seen the Flight of the Concords but my my like I just thought of it it reminds me a bit of like the monkeys <laughs> going back to, to something kind of older Mm-hmm. Where they're just like they have these comical moments, like, um, but the only difference is, like, I think the monkeys they were in their show they were very popular, but in this, I I do think that they do have enough in in the opening that shows how they're still kind of struggling, like where they're pushing the van, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and I do love some of the moments like they kind of. Um, Hint that they're like sharing a uh, a single packet of ramen for lunch. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Um, only thing I would say about that is uh, just kind of dwelling on each of the characters as a whole is I think it would have been nice to kind of have a little more scenes throughout to kind of see more of their relationship together yeah. because yeah. at the end I guess it kind of comes like oh I love you. Um, why don't you, what's her name? Val? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I just kind of think that, you know, the movie was definitely trying to do a lot, and I think it was it was definitely kind of a plot-based movie first, then, like, obviously character studies, because they're kind of just, like, little um, cardboard cutouts a little bit. Yeah, and, and I, I do agree with that, that that is one of the shortcomings of the film, but I, I think, for at least for me, the, the comedy really helps... Um, overshadow that yeah well the thing is is like it's kind of what you want out of a movie and when you're wanting a comedy you don't really care so much about about that but when it just comes to the scenes at the end they kind of feel a little unearned you know just like that like girl powery moment like in the car at the end when they all like yeah i love you guys i love you guys and it's like I just kind of wish there was, like, a couple more scenes early on to, like, really illustrate their friendship a little more. And to, especially, like, with Rosario Dawson's character, she she definitely was kind of, like, the level-headed one. But, like, I didn't really know much else about her besides that she was kind of the straight man of the group. I mean, like, Rachel Lee Cook was a little bit, but, you, you know what I mean? But she's kind of the more, the one that's just, like, really 
grounded. Well, well, um, Rachel Lee Co- Josie is is the one that has the love interest, so she yes. <laughs> by basically by default she's the one that gets the most character development, and she more or less has this arc. and And it is disappointing that Valerie does get the short shrift in this in this film. I think because she doesn't really get any. Um, comic relief moments because those are all given to Mel um, mm-hmm. as as the stupid one and all the character developments given to Josie and then Val is <laughs> and it's it's almost in a way it's funny because that's exactly how movie, she's treated in the movie, in the movie yeah. where yeah. Val is intentionally left out uh, by Wyatt and yeah so maybe Rosa. it was like they were trying to be meta there too but it is kind of like it's just kind of unfortunate like that she doesn't get more to sink her teeth into because yeah, that's especially that's because especially for two reasons like one because I love Rosaria Dawson as an actress I, I think she is able to do a lot of great stuff both in comedy and and drama but and and the other reason, kind of in a way, going back to the uh, sixteen candles, like she is like the only person of color in this film, mm-hmm. and, she, <laughs> and she's the the one character that's like basically pushed out, pushed away from everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's also interesting too because I would say she's has the, as a as career wise she's had the most longevity of them. Mm-hmm. Rachel Lee Cook is really just a staple of the early two thousands. You know, like you, no one thinks about like is she? I don't even know if she's working. I don't know what she's done. You know, I think but she's like, done like a few small indie projects, but yeah, she's. I think she hasn't really continued acting at least in anything major. And then mm-hmm. Tara Reid, of course, is is in the Sharknado movie. <laughs> yes. Well, I also feel like Tara Reid's more like known for like her pl- plastic surgery disasters and Sharknado than anything like current. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, like Sharknado is there for like people that like bad movies, but not like everyone in the world is watching that. <laughs> yeah, and that's like where. Where stars go to die. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it was so funny because um, I'd actually that's a, actually one a film why if you will that I haven't seen is the Sharknado movies, but um, my sister the other day was trying to show me them and like and I and she was trying to just be like wait let me let me just fast forward to like a good part let me just fast forward <laughs> to a good part and she kept doing it and I was like where 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 are the good parts where are the good parts. <laughs> But, like, there was the dad from Home Alone <laughs> in it. And I was like, okay, so this is who Tara Reid's working with now. Like, the dad from Home Alone, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, where the, the sci-fi network where people go to die, their careers go to die, I think is completely <laughs> accurate. Yeah. Um, but, I don't know. I Like, I, I do love Josie and the Pussycats. I, I do agree that... That the plot is extremely far-fetched and very cartoonish, and the characters are very one-dimensional, aside from maybe Josie, but the humor gets me through it, and every time I see it, it's it's like I see something new, and... And I just love what it has to say about consumerism and just the the meta-humor that's Mm -hmm. throughout this film. And there's just... I don't know. I, I feel like it's it's underrated. I, I think it's it has like maybe a, a five or a six. Rating. I saw that. It's like five point six, I think, on IMDb. Yeah, so and, low. 
I don't think it, it just that. doesn't. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel like that at all to me. I I think this is a really fun movie, and it it is like this time capsule. And I mean, actually, five point three. Dang. <laughs> yeah, and and I love like Dujour as this comment on the Backstreet Boys and In Sync, mm-hmm, especially with mm-hmm. their song. Even though it's a little too on the nose, the backdoor lover. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's just such a great, and just the way that they play it, and and how they come back, and the body casts because they, it's like they landed the plane, but they they landed next to a Metallica concert. Yeah, I liked that too. I like that because you're like, oh, they survived, and then they're like, oh, we landed it just fine. <laughs> I was happy that it was that. I didn't even like. Well, it's funny because. Um, like I said, I brought up the parallels to Zoolander. I think it's really similar to that, but, um, kind of in the way that you had like David Duchovny in Zoolander, um, be this like person that knows the whole scheme and helps them uncover it. And Mm. is like secretly guiding, but like they meet him pretty early on. So it was kind of like a last minute revelation that like you were getting clues, but I almost forgot even that anyone else was trying to warn them. So I was like, Oh yeah, the McDonald's thing. I didn't even remember. <laughs> but, and, um, and also bringing it, it back to the, something I mentioned, if it does feel like a Scooby-Doo moment too, because like <laughs> everything, it's like they pull the mask off at the very end, even though there's no mask, it's, yeah, it's just exactly. the, the movie phone guy. Yeah. <laughs> Which, that, like that's also very, too. very 2000 time yes, capsule. For sure. For sure. But I agree with you. Um, it was just like a really fun, and it's like an, it's a really easy watch too. You know, like mm. it's, it's you obviously don't have to put a ton of thought into it, and it's just like it's you know I watched it actually like late, late, late last night, and just you know just enjoyed it. It's just like kind of an easy, just an easy movie to watch. There's not like I wouldn't say that it's like sophisticated type humor or something that you need to be in a certain mood for. Like, I think it's probably like a type of movie that you could honestly probably put on like at any time and just enjoy it. Cause they're having fun and it's, and it's silly and funny and yeah, it's yeah. almost, it almost reminds me like of airplane style humor because it, it does, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it does treat the story seriously. And yet everything is so absurd that it, it becomes a parody of this type of movie. It, it's like it becomes a parody of itself, but it's not quite so much of the, the wink, wink, nudge, nudge that, mm-hmm. that like the scary movies are. Yeah or, yeah. or how it's like it's a carbon copy of a movie, but then it, it just throws a joke in at the end. It's very self-aware, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I just love what, love what the film does with itself. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, um, thanks again for for coming on the show. Um, I'm glad to have you. I, th- I think you picked a, a couple great movies to to talk about. Uh, I loved uh, revisiting Josie and the Pussycats, and and I'm glad that I got the chance to see Sixteen Candles, even though it does have its <laughs> its more troublesome elements to it. It does. But, but thanks for having me. I was really happy to come on. It was it was fun pairing, fun to talk about. So why don't you go ahead and remind everybody where they can find you online? Okay, well, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at EmilyMackey1138. I think it might be Emily.Mackey, M-A-C-K-A-Y. And then my website is MoviesInMayhem.com. And as always, I am Bubble Wheat. And you can find me on Twitter at Bubba Weeds, and you can find me at FlightsTightsAndMovieNights.com, and you can find the podcast FilmWise at FilmWise.com or on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play. 
And if you want to know what two films I'll be talking about on the next episode, go ahead and listen through to the end for the mashup trailer. Until next time. I remember that night better than I do entire years. Do you look any different? Let's get on that boat. Come on, it'll be fun. You don't have time. It's evil, right? these dreams i'm in the car and a buddy of mine is driving me downtown and i'm staring out the window and i think i see you